Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19, if you have it in your Bibles in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from that because today I want to talk uh, regarding that which brings, when you receive opposition, what do you do when you receive opposition in your faith? And the story here, we have entered into this month, we're at the end of January now, uh, now's the time. It's a time of prayer. It's a call to come back and fast and pray and to seek God because we need God to move in our midst, in our families, in our church, in our homes, in our work, in our schools. We need a move of God. We need breakthrough in a number of these areas. And that's not going to come by wishful thinking. It's not going to come by sitting around saying, well, God is sovereign. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. But he has called us into partnership to pray for these things. And so we've called the church into a place of prayer, uh, inviting every one of you and those who are joining us live. We are, it's an invitation, an active ongoing invitation into a season of fasting and prayer. Uh, and when you come into that season, this is why we needed to talk about what we're going to talk about today. My title today is A Letter from the Devil. You're going to get a letter from the devil. You're going to get a letter from the devil. As you pursue God, as you begin to turn and an awakening begins to happen, something will transpire. It's biblical. You will find it. Now, you probably won't be able to Google a letter from the devil and find a, a scripture. But you will see the scripture. You're going to get it today. Because there will be times where when there's an opposition, how do you respond? Now, before I go into this, I was reading this from John Maxwell. I've been picking up some of his material lately. John Maxwell was a pastor. He's an author. He's a motivational speaker. He's a Christian. He's written a lot of books. And most of the books is books that he's considered the coach of leaders in the Christian community. And I picked up a book of his that I was thumbing through just a few days ago called Go for Gold. Uh, and in that book he had, and of course he's American, so he's speaking, he had some memoirs of Ronald Reagan, he used to be a president in the United States. And that was at the time where our prime minister was Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and the prime minister in, in the UK was Margaret Thatcher. And so I would just want to read uh, from Reagan's, this is John Maxwell was bringing this out. During the term of President Ronald Reagan, leaders from seven industrial nations were meeting at the White House to discuss economic policy. During the meeting, Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau strongly was upbraiding British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. He was telling her that she was all wrong in her policies. They wouldn't work. She stood there in front of him. This is the British Prime Minister stood there in front of him with her held up listened until he was finished, and then she walked away. Reagan, who was good, known to be good friends with Thatcher, went up to her after and said, Maggie, he should never have spoken to you like that. He was out of line, just entirely out of line. Why did you let him get away with that? And Thatcher, in her, if you, any of you remember Thatcher, looked at Reagan and answered, a woman must know when a man is being simply childish. Sometimes we're confronted with things and we need to know when to say something and when not to say something. 
how to respond and when to respond. Not everything needs an immediate response. And I've discovered, thank the Lord, that sometimes being slow to answer is a godly thing. And I actually am really glad I live in the computer age today. It's called the delete button. You get something? You write out the script to respond? Maybe you cast a quick prayer? You look at your script and you delete the whole thing. And then you let grace flow into whatever it is about your... You've been there. I can see you've been there. Thank God that I live in the computer age now because back before, that letter would often get to the mail before I got a hold of it. And I regret many a thing said because it wasn't said in the spirit of Christ. It was said in the spirit of anger. Today I want to address this situation that took place with a guy by the name of King Hezekiah. So let's read it. 2 Kings chapter 19. It's an Old Testament story of how king of Israel, king of Judah, received a letter from, I'm going to, because it's a parallel, I'm going to call it a letter right from the devil. 2 Kings 19, 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord. Hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. And listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand in this next few moments here as brothers and sisters how this relates to us almost 3,000 years later. How this relates to us in our context, in our lives. That, Lord, the spirit that was behind this is a spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit that ridicules your children. I pray that, God, you would help us to understand this, help us to apply it in your almighty name. Amen. The letter that was given to Hezekiah that day was signed Sennacherib. Sennacherib. He was the king of Assyria. It was the great kingdom of the day. It was signed Sennacherib, but really it was sent directly from hell. The name Sennacherib, if you look it up, the name Sennacherib means two meanings to the name Sennacherib. Sennacherib means man of sin. Sennacherib name means also the moon god or the multiplied brotherhood. It's those who represent Satan. They could be seen as a picture. It's those that represent the enemy of your soul, the God of this world, who is determined in the vast brotherhood of the Antichrist, who is determined to contest any legitimate work of God. It comes from him. You know, we do not fight against flesh and blood. It's not, about, it's not about this person who was Sennacherib. And this message is not about a particular man or woman. Ephesians 6, 11 tells us, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against a person. But it is against authorities, against powers of this world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We battle, although there's people involved, the battle is not them. The battle is a spiritual battle. We fight against spiritual things, 
Now, we fight it in the physical, yes, but the battle is a spiritual battle. And if ever we only fight the battle in the physical, if you think it's about a person, you've missed the power of victory in that battle because it's, there's a spiritual something that we need to embrace. So in the story, Sennacherib, the story here, let me give you a bit of a setting. King Hezekiah, there were 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes had broken up. The 10 tribes were called Israel. The bottom two tribes were called Judah. But they were the tribes They were where God was bringing his promise, the promise of the Redeemer. He was bringing it through. These were the messengers of the promise. And so they had, some, they had a covenant with God. But the northern section had already fallen. They had gone their own way. They had already fallen to Sennacherib. Sennacherib had taken over, and they were cast into exile. Now this, this smaller group called Judah were holding out. King Hezekiah was the king of this smaller group. And this smaller group were threatened to be overtaken by this great king of Assyria, King Sennacherib, the man of sin. I'm going to call him the work of the enemy. The other tribes that had been taken captive had come under God's judgment for, her, for their immorality and apostasy. In other words, the people that had already gone into captivity had ceased serving God with all their hearts. And they had begun to pursue their own interests. They were pursuing the God of this world. I want to put up here again the chart. Can we do that? The chart here that talks about revival. And on the chart of revival, you'll see on your right side, that complacency is where we begin to take for granted our spiritual condition. That moves into the place as we begin to drop out. We move into the place, that's the lukewarm. We move into the place of, of pursuing the externals. We enjoy the externals. We begin to enjoy this, this world becomes more and more our home. To the place where we forget the Lord. We forget his goodness. We forget what he is doing for us. We get what his word is about. We forget our heritage. We forget the redeemer into the place of spiritual deadness. Until there's an awakening, until there's a hunger. And there's a great question. It's a great question. What is the place of hunger? It's the place where, where prayer begins. It's the place where we begin to call on God. And you know, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, hunger or prayer? Did when we, we begin to pray, we begin to hunger? Or when we begin to hunger, we begin to pray? And I, I think it's a circular argument. It happens to the place where we begin to call on God and we have a, we have a choice either to go back to the enjoying the externals of this world or will we seek the face of God? And in this season right now, we're calling our, our Aurora Cornerstone Church, our family here, to a season of prayer, a season of seeking God's face. To do what you need to do. Take a meal here and there. Take some extra time. Remove some of the things you do in your evening. And separate yourself. The Bible says in the New Testament, go into a room. Close the door behind you. Open up the word of God. And begin to ask God, God, what are you needing to do in my life? And begin to lay yourself out before the Lord in a protracted season of pursuit. The Bible says if you seek him with your whole heart you will find him. You will discover something at that level of pursuit you will not find on the superficial level of bringing and tacking him into your everyday activity. 
What had happened to the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel, is they had become carnal. They had begun to just enjoy the world they lived in. Matter of fact, we don't see it any more clearly than in 2 Kings 17, 22. Let's read it. It tells the result of what happens when you simply enjoy the external. It says here, The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned them through his prophets, through his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. That was the, that's the time of Hezekiah, the group of people in exile. And they were a people who compromised. We read it in chapter 17, verse 41. Let me read this. Why were they in exile? Here's it, here it is, verse 41. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. That's why. It wasn't that they rejected God outright. They thought they could have God, and then they thought they could have this world at the same time. Note that. Even while the people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. Even though they went to church once in a while, their lives did not represent it. Their passions were the passions of this world. Even while the people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. In other words, the Bible, New Testament says they had the form of godliness, but they were denying its power. They were denying the fullness of Christ. They had a form of Christianity. Not everybody who says, I follow Jesus, is a follower of Jesus. You know that. Not everybody who goes to church on Sunday morning is going to heaven. Not everybody who says that they are, uh, you know, they are Christian, are Christian. It comes through that place where we have denied ourselves, taken up the cross, and followed Jesus. And that denying has to do with a turning away. Repentance means a turning away. And so that northern section of tribes had done such. They were saying they were worshiping God, but they worshiped, they loved this world. And they were taken into captivity. And so here you have the story of Hezekiah. Now the same king who took them is about to try to take the, the last remnant left. And King Hezekiah was the king. It's a great story. I invite you to read it. To, there's, it's, it's read, you can read it from uh, a number of the different. You can read it from the kings. You can read it from the chronicles. And it will tell you the story of King Hezekiah. Let me just quickly share a couple of things about the story we need to first of all look at quickly. Number one, he started by saying no more tribute to the enemy. Up to this time, King Hezekiah, the chapter that we read earlier, uh, King Hezekiah, Judah had been a servant to the, to the nation of Assyria in the degree of a form of bondage. Uh, up to this point in time where this takes place, the king, Sennacherib, had been taxing Hezekiah and the Judah people heavily. They were under a heavy taxation. And I'm going to call it a type of bondage to the enemy. It was a, they were paying these taxes. They had actually stripped down their temple, the place of worship, in order to satisfy this king, this evil king, the, the man of sin. They had given up a lot. There was a lot of compromise going on. There was a form of bondage that had taken place, and it truly is a picture of compromise. And that picture can be found today in us. It can be found in those of us who walk in fear, who walk in a spirit of intimidation, Bible in the New Testament, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of intimidation, but a spirit of power 
And so they were intimidated. And there was this intimidation on the people of Judah at this time that they were paying tribute to Assyria. They were paying tribute. And the tribute was demanding more and more. And there comes a point where Hezekiah's heart was so stirred, he gets up and he says, no more tribute. No more of this. And I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that even among, I, I, again, uh, I join on those on prayer Zooms and I'm hearing one after the other, pastor after power. Pastor, they're not saying it in these words, but they're saying enough's enough. Enough's enough. And we're not re referring to government. We're talking, the enemy has stolen from us too much. Too many of our sons and daughters are being lost to the faith. Too many of us are succumbing to the ways of this, of, of, of sickness and, and despondency and hopelessness and giving up and walking away from the, too many are walking away. Enough's enough. We're drawing a line and saying, we no longer are paying tribute to you anymore. We're rising up, and I'm calling this a place of an awakening. There's an arising together. There is a saying, I will stop what's going on. This is not right. Compromise is stopping right here. You know, this was the place of conflict. As long as the people paid their tribute to the devil, they seemed to remain unmolested. But as soon as they got their hearts poised towards God, the enemy upped the ante. And in this season, and this is why we needed to talk about this today. In this season, because we've called the church, we've called you into the place of prayer, into a season of calling on the name of the Lord. That when you do, when your heart begins to reposition, when you begin to call on God, all of a sudden you're going to discover all hell begins to break against you. Because you've said, I'm stopped paying tribute to you. I'm stopping the compromise. I'm not living like though I used to live. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm not going to let anger control me. I'm not going to let the pleasures of this world control this physical body. I'm surrendering it to the Lord. And when you begin to do that, what you are saying is, enemy, no more tribute to you anymore. And when the awakening happens, Sennacherib shows up. Sennacherib shows up. Because prior to that, chances are you didn't experience the same level of intensity of battle you're about to experience. Because you've just declared war. Dear ones, the moment you give up trying to satisfy this world and put your life wholly into the hands of the Lord, hell will come against you. The second point here is the subtle devices that Satan will use. And these will come in the, in the form of thought attacks. He will start parading his strength and his tactics around your life, showing you how powerful he is and how successful he is. He wants you to feel helpless if you dare to stand against him. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, let's read it. The king of Assyria, remember his name was Sennacher, man of sin, the brotherhood. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, his field commander, with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. This massive army. He sends a messenger. And I'm going to share five tactics of the enemy here. I'm going to call them tricks. You might want to write some of these down. Number one, taken right from the story here. Number one, trick one, to question your commitment to fully trust in the Lord and him alone. 
In 2 Kings chapter 18, 19, it says, The field commander said to them, I'm going to pause here before I finish the rest of that. The field commander said to them, I looked up the field commander, literally translated, it's translated, drunken enemy. Drunken enemy. He will come and mock you like a drunken enemy. Like a drunken enemy. That's interesting. Let's continue reading verse 19. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, Remember, Hezekiah is just had an awakening. He's going to stand up for righteousness. He's going to stand for the things of God. His heart is committed for God. Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Let me apply it. The enemy will tell us that you're in a mess. He will tell us that you think you can turn against him. I mean, have you ever felt in your thought process the enemy of your soul, the devil, tell you that God's not going to rescue you? I have. Have you ever felt that your faith is too weak? You actually are anemic in the faith? Who are you? Who are you to think that you're going to amount to anything for the kingdom? Thought process. It's the first thing he did to attack Hezekiah. You could almost hear the devil laughing. In spite of all your, the devil saying this, in spite of all your love for Jesus, giving up the world, doing right, it's not going to work. Tactic number one, to question your commitment to fully trust God and him alone. He'll question it. Tactic number two, God is the one behind all your troubles. That's what he's saying. We pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 18, 25. Furthermore, this is the drunken messenger. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. The man of sin told King Hezekiah, God told me that you're going down. God told me to actually come and attack you. Such audacity. God told me. It's, it's Satan wanting you to think that your problems are a result of God wanting to punish you for your past sin. So he comes and he says, yeah, because you did this, you deserve this. God's taken you down. You're not going to amount to anything. Your, your marriage is going to fall apart. Your family's going to fall apart. Your work's going to fall apart. Your health is going to fall apart. Your finances are going to fall apart. All this because God's punishing you. Because God is punishing you. Beloved here this morning, hear this clearly. Don't believe a word of it because Satan is the destroyer, not God. Satan is the destroyer, not God. This was the same tactic used against Job in the book of Job after his own name where one after the other went to Job and says, there's God is punishing you, Job. God is punishing you, Job. God is punishing you, Job. This is the reason. He's not a good God. He's coming against you because you are no good. You've got sin in your life. And Job, in that story, if you read the story, Job was like befunkled. I don't know if there's such a word. 
He was like, I don't understand why this is happening. But I know it's not because of that. Satan is a liar. And he will come and he will say, God's behind your trouble. God's, blame God, curse him. Curse God. Trick number three. Satan will try to focus your attention on his victories over other Christians. 2 Kings 18.33 continues. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath, Arpad? Where are the gods of Zarephim, Hena, Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? What's he doing? He's listing off all the winds. All the winds. All the winds. All the winds. Where were those gods? Where were those gods? You see, the enemy will come and begin to boast that he is more powerful than your God. Satan will bring to your mind all the Christians who claim to trust in God who fell away. Have you had that happen? And you begin to think of that Christian. They're no longer serving God. And this one, they don't go to church anymore. And that one has denied the Lord. And now they're claiming to be atheistic. And this one who's not serving God. He'll bring to your mind. He'll begin to say, see, I took them, I took them, I took them. Where was God for them? He'll begin to parade a bunch of people. People who've fallen. Pastors who've fallen. Evangelists who've fallen. Prophets who've fallen. Apostles who've fallen. Missionaries who've fallen. He begins to parade people before you and said. Who do you think you are? I took them. Who do you think you are that you think you can stand against me? He'll begin to parade those who believed God for a miracle over their body. They really felt God was going to heal them, and today they're in the grave. He'll remind you of them and say, remember, they thought they were going to be healed, and they're dead today. Who do you think you are? He'll remind you of somebody who was believing and contending for their marriage, and their marriage broke up, and they're divorced today. He'll bring them before you. He'll begin to parade a tribute of people before you and saying, he will say, uh, try to focus the victories over other Christians so that you feel despondent. Trick number four. Satan then paints a fantastic picture of what your life could be if you make a deal with him. If you make a deal with him. 2 Kings chapter 18, 31 He said, do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine, fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to the land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. He even quotes God, choose life and not death. Hmm. Choose life and not death. Do you see that? He's saying, don't listen to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. No, he won't. No, he won't. And so the devil's voice whispers, there's no need for you to suffer the way you are. You don't have to be radical like this. You don't have to be radical and pray like this. You don't have to do what you're doing. You don't have to give up these things. You don't Look at others don't give up these things. You don't have to give up these things. Trust me. Don't be deceived by what you think you're hearing. But beloved, be very clear. When you sell short your relationship to Jesus, you are in essence cutting a deal. You are in essence selling your soul.
Which brings us to the last part of his tricks. Trick number five. As a last resort, Satan will send you a threatening letter. A threatening letter. We pick this up, 2 Kings chapter 19, 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger and read it. Note what happens. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hmm. He went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. I've received a number of letters, and I don't mean literal, thought attacks from the devil over the years. And not a long time ago either. He continues to do so. Have you? Maybe you've received a letter. Maybe it looks something like this. It came through the person you love most, your husband or your wife, recently, and they said, our marriage is not working. I want out. And it's Satan's way of saying, your pursuit of God didn't help your marriage. Give up. You're a phony. Give up on your marriage. Maybe the letter came through a son or your daughter. And you've been calling and praying for them and believing and standing on behalf of them. But your son or your daughter have just now indicated to you they want nothing to do with your God. It's the devil's way of saying, you failure. Look at all those wasted years. You've lost your legacy. Maybe the letter has come through your job. You find out your job is unstable or you've lost your job. And it's the devil's way of saying, no one wants you. You're done for. You're washed up. Your back is not covered. Maybe the, debtor, de the, the letter came through an illness that you just can't be treated and it's the devil's way of saying you're sick and your God can't do a thing about it. Or maybe it's been a letter whispered into your subconscious saying you're a loser. You have no friends. God's not answering your prayer. Your family doesn't care. Look what's happening to you. You think you are a Christian. Look what's happening. Guaranteed the get a letter from the devil. You get a letter from the devil. Some of you recognize these letters. We need to pick up on these letters and where they came from. Remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood. It's not about a person. It's a thought process that he attacks you in order to bring your faith down and to take you away from the place of wholeheartedly pursuing him with all your heart. So what do I do? <laughs> what do we do? Well, let's stay with Hezekiah here. He did the right thing. Remember... 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. And here it is. He spread it out before the Lord. That's it. Spread it out before God. There it is. You spread it out. Can I encourage you? What you might want to do is write it down. Where, what, what have you been feeling? What has been the attack? What's going on? Write it out. I find when I write it out, it seems to make more sense. And I thought I was going to stop at a paragraph and it ended end up being pages of stuff. And it's all your concerns, all your fears, all your anxieties, all these things that you're just back and forth and God, I don't see you. Where are you? What's going on here? If you read the book of Psalms, David was an expert at this. When you read David going, God, where were you? I wish you would just do this. I can't find you. What's he doing? He's, he's spreading his letter out. He's spreading it out before God. 
Sometimes I find it best just to write it out. Get pen and paper and begin to write that out. Or on your tab. Write it out before him. Write it out before him. He spread it out before the Lord. It says here, he received the messenger. He went to the house of the Lord and he spread it out. He spread it out before the Lord. And secondly, he prayed and he sought the Lord. Can I encourage you at this point where you spread your letter out, don't try and reason with the enemy. Don't try to vindicate yourself right now. Now's not the time. Hold your peace. Hold your peace. There's an old expression, don't fight the enemy in the enemy territory. Don't fight your enemy in the enemy territory. Fight him in God's territory. Fight him where you're going to win the battle. David didn't go and fight Goliath with the enemy armor. He went and fought him with his armor, a sling and some stones. He fought him with his strength. He didn't fight him with his weakness. And in those moments when you spread out the letter of whatever God is, whatever, whatever the enemy has brought against you, you spread it out before God. And then don't try to simply defend yourself. Don't try to excuse yourself. You know, many times I've found myself saying, yeah, some of that might be true, but, but, we pick it up here, 2 Kings 18, 36. Hezekiah, note this. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king commanded them, do not answer him. Don't try to vindicate yourself. Why? Let's continue. Because if you're a son or a daughter of God, when you received that letter and those accusations, it wasn't about you. It was a letter against God. You need to see that. You thought it was about you? God takes it personally when the enemy messes with his kid. And I'm a son of God. <laughs> I'm a son of the most high God. I'm a child of the king of kings. Just as you have, and those of us who have sons and daughters, and somebody messes with your little one, you know, they're messing with you, right? How much more your heavenly father. And when the enemy comes against you, King Hezekiah got a hold of this. He spread his letter out in the presence of his heavenly father. And he says, people, don't talk about this. We're going to wait on our father. We're going to wait on our father. Let's pick this up. 2 Kings 19, 22. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed, God says? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. King Sennacherib, you thought you were attacking Judah? Mm, you're attacking the God of Judah. Remember, he who touches you is touching a child of the living God. So lay out the letter this morning. Lay out those things that have you've been under attack this morning. Lay those things out before the Lord as you have never before. Because the Lord has an answer. And it's found, let's read, 1 Kings 19, 32. Here it is, the Lord's answer. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says concerning you, king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. And that same night, God showed Hezekiah what he could do. He sent one angel. One angel. Let's pick it up. 2 Kings 19.35. That night, the angel of the Lord, not plural, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 
185,000 Assyrian in their camp. And when the people got up the next morning, dead bodies everywhere. Wow. One angel. One angel. One angel. We sang that song earlier. Angels' armies. One angel. God vindicates his own in his perfect time. Psalms 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. God's our deliverer. So, beloved, this morning, I invite you, as you begin to poise your heart and hunger and passion before God, in this season of pursuit of our holy God, as we call on him, on behalf of our loved ones, on behalf of our jobs, on behalf of our country, on behalf of our, wherever it is, our church, our town, as we call on him, guarantee it, you're going to have a confrontation with the enemy, the devil. And he will issue some letters. And maybe he's already issued that letter. And today as we close, may, may we begin to spread this out before him. Spread it out before him. And let God answer what he's going to do in this situation. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this, and it was a scripture that has been on my heart recently. I, God has a counter answer to the devil's attack, and it's found in Psalms 46, verse 1. And so if you want to begin here, begin right here. Psalm 46, verse 1. Psalm 46, 1. Read along with me. It says, God is our refuge and strength. This is his letter. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease. We need to pray that right now. He makes wars cease. I'm praying that for Ukraine right now. He makes wars cease. I was talking to our missionary, missionary friend, dear friend of ours, Carolyn, who, who was told, leave the Ukraine right now. Leave the Ukraine right now. There's, there's you know, 120,000 soldiers mounted up against you, Ukraine. Leave the, and I just know her because she was, you know, was my missionary uh, you know, leader. And, and I, I knew, man, you, you're taunting her. You're taunting her. She says, I'm standing with my family because I'm believing. She stands on this right here where, uh, you know, where she makes that declaration. God Almighty is with us. God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. God makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shields with fire. He prays, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. 
For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.